Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Um, I'm going to read a little bit from this, and then we're going to chat, and then if you have pressing questions, I'm so here for them. Um, so yeah, this is the final book and I'm just going to read from it. You know, it's young adult, you guys, but it's like fantasy. I don't know. <laughs> it's like a fairy tale. Um, this does not have, this is, uh, at this point, the main character, Sophie is in Poland finally, and she's got a little, uh, sidekick now to do's this kid um, who's helping her. And in order for her to like complete her mission and dis- defeat her grandmother who is evil incarnate, um, she has to go and they have to go and visit this witch Jezda. Jezda is like a real witch in Polish mythology um, who like lives in a crazy spinning house with chicken feet. Um, so yeah, that's all you need to know. They're in her house now. Is that a foot? Sophie asked herself, peeking over the rim of Jezda's cauldron as she passed by, her arms heavy with stone plates. She set them down at, w- at the wooden table without grace, upsetting the jug of water Tadeus had filled, splashing the bits of burlap he'd fashioned into napkins. Tadeus is a little queen just between you and me. Jezda set her dark gaze on the girl, eyes all pupil, no iris, and cocked a sparse eyebrow. You're a bit clumsy with the table settings. What do you do at home, eh? Your mama must bite her fingers watching you. We really don't set the table at my house, Sophie said. Oh, you eat with your hands like raccoons? Sophie found it odd to be defending her civility to a witch, possibly cooking a stew of human toes, but she tried to explain what dinner time was like back in Chelsea. My mother works a lot. She's not home or else she's tired. We mostly eat on our own, like cereal or TV dinners or ramen. You don't think witches work a lot, Jezda demanded? Witches work harder than any woman. It is important to sit down and eat at the end of the day. I insist upon it. To do is very nice with the napkins. I'm impressed. Thank you, to do's, mumbled shyly. Jezda directed her attention back to Sophie. Well, I think my cooking is distracting you, so why don't you stir the pot and I'll help to do's. The witch offered a hefty wooden spoon to Sophie. Something split off, slid off the curve and into the broth with a plop. Sure, but I can't really cook, Sophie said uneasily. The cooking is done. Now you just stir. The witch smiled, showing off her deadly mismatched teeth. Before abandoning her cauldron, she removed what looked like the skull of a bird from her wrist and tossed it into the soup. Sophie plunged the wooden spoon into the thick stew. Beneath the reddish broth, tomatoes, right? Tomato soup, like Andrea would make her with grilled cheese when she was younger. The spoon bumped into mysterious things that sunk and bobbed and spun in the muck. Not muck, Sophie corrected herself. The soup, it's just soup. The steam from it rose up to her face, dampening her cheeks. It smelled good. It smelled like garlic, which always smelled good and was strong enough to mask the scent of anything else in the pot. Smells good, Sophie said to the witch, offering a weak smile. Of course it does, Jezda nodded. It's been cooking for a long time. Best to bring out the flavors. Right. Jezda joined her at the wide metal cauldron, rubbing the mouth of a glass with a bit of burlap. This particular stew has been going since, oh, I think 1945. She ducked her head into the steam and breathed it deeply. Sophie stopped stirring. The spoon stood straight up in the thick broth. You've been cooking this soup since 1945, she asked. I began it in 1945, the witch said, reaching into a pocket in her skirts and withdrawing a fistful of herbs she sprinkled into the pot. I add to it daily, of course, a little this, a little that, whatever's around. There are lean times and fat times, but always my stew feeds me. She patted her belly, soft and wide. 
Jezda, Sophie grabbed the witch, her stomach roiling with fear and the sensation of being extremely grossed out. I think it's great that you eat people. Really. Like, good for you. It makes sense that you would. You're a witch. But I'm a person. I can't eat other people. I don't want to be rude. It is so kind of you to have us for dinner. I mean, not have us for dinner. Actually, it's just so kind for you to not have us for dinner. I just... Jezda took out, took the burlap rag and placed it over Sophie's mouth. Do you think I would share a delicacy so rare, a taste so acquired, with a girl who sups on cornflakes and Lucky Charms? She gestured to the, to the stew. There are no people in there, fool. I do not share my dark-hearted meats with anyone, especially not human children. Phew. Sophie's face cracked into a huge smile. She wiped her sweaty brow with the back of her hand. Okay, great. That's great for everyone. Great plan. Great plan. She took back up her task of stirring the stew, unafraid now of what lurked beneath the broth. What once was a heart was now but a turnip, a potato, a carrot. She flashed a sigh of relief, a smile of relief at Todos, who had been made so nervous by the exchange he'd begun to absentmindedly chew on a napkin. And the 1945 thing, that's not like going to give us food poisoning or anything, Sophie clarified. Well, it doesn't give me food poisoning, the witch cackled. Magic is a capable preservative, I believe. See here, she took the spoon away from Sophie and dredged the cauldron, struggling slightly to bring it back above the broth. Oh dear, she mumbled. Sophie assisted, and together they brought forth something. Something puckered in red and white, stringy and fatty and big. Bear heart, the witch said, pulling a bit of meat free with her fingers and popping it into her mouth. I took this one down 30 years ago, I believe. And here, she dumped the heart with a splash and rummaged around the cauldron until she emerged with what looked like an entire cat skeleton held together with twine. Bubala, she said fondly, my familiar. Of course, I would never share her meat, but her bones, her bones are good for soups. There's a cat in there, Sophie said dully. Just the bones, dearie, just the bones. But the dogs, we have everything but the pelt in there. Jezda pat the sickened girl on the back cheerfully. It's just a formality, the cooking. The stew is always ready, and it is never finished. Let's eat. Grabbing a clay bowl marked with the witch's own fingerprints, Jezda served a deep spoonful of the stew and passed it to Sophie. Smezdengo, she cried happily. It's like a Polish word that I can't remember what it means, but I googled it, and I put it in the book. <laughs> and I felt so proud when I did. Broth splashed over the top and wet Sophie's hoodie. She looked down into the bowl, not wanting to know what she was seeing. The aroma of the bowl wafted up to her face. Delicious. It really did smell delicious. So tell me why you were in my house. Jezda let loose a deep burp and patted her mouth daintily with a piece of burlap. Compliments to the chef, she cackled, which is me. Get it? The witch's laughter made Sophie dizzy. Or maybe it was the ancient stew made from a full menagerie of beasts. Or maybe it was the house which had begun its spinning as they sat down to sup and gave no clue as to when it would stop. It was like eating atop a carnival ride from one of those amusement parks that popped up in empty parking lots each summer back home. Like eating dog, bear, cat, rat, stew in a spinning teacup with a witch who cackled at her own bad jokes. Sophie snapped her head as if she could shake it all from her brain and rub the fog from her eyes. I'm here for your help. My grandmother is Kishka. You may know her as another name or creature. She is evil, Odmienchi, but she comes to me as my grandmother. She feeds off the dark matter that is destroying the universe, and I am meant to, meant to fight her. To win, I hope, and I believe you might help. The witch pushed her rickety chair back from her rickety table. And what makes you think that, eh? Maybe I like there being evil in the world. Keeps things spicy. Makes my own place a bit secure. You know, which is evil. We are of a pair. That's not true, Sophie protested. My Aunt Henny is a witch, and she is all good. The witches at the riverbank who tried to drive out the boginki? Wannabes, Jezda snorted. These days, any human who ties a bundle of oregano to her ceiling claims to be a witch. Oh, you cook dinner? You're a witch. You brew tea? A witch. You like that pretty rock? You must be a witch. Where were all of them when we were being burned at the stake run out of town? I had to move so deep into the forest, I'm practically in the fairy lands. My house has legs, so it can run me even deeper should the townsfolk show up with torches again. The witch sighed. I do so miss city living. 
It is said that you guard the fountain of life, Sophie said. And so I do. And there are springs on the planet where the dark matter enters, Sophie said. And Todos tells me that your spring seems to flow with the opposite. I would like to visit it. Would you? I visited the invisible near the Swilky by the ogresses. That's in the second book. You know of them? Jezda snatched a bone from her plate and nodded petulantly. You think all magic people know each other, eh? No, I don't know these ogresses. I don't know of this invisible. Well, please, Sophie began to beg. This wasn't going as she'd hoped it would. The lock hadn't bitten her and the hag hadn't eaten her, so those parts worked out well. But Sophie was accustomed to her mentors being a bit more on their toes. If you could just take me to it, then we will be on our way, if it suits you. Jezda stood up, gathering the wet plates in the stone cups. Please let me help, Tadeus said eagerly, but the witch took her armful of dishes and hurled them to the floor. Tadeus gave a little cry at the unexpected cacophony of stone shattering, and Sophie gripped the wooden table, slowing her breath and maintaining her calm as she stared down the witch. Put those back together, Jezda said, and then I will take you to the fountain of life. The witch moved into an adjoining room, which Sophie spied was crawling with cats. Their eyes flashed like skulls on the fence, the fence posts outside, and they alternately hissed and meowed, hoping to rub their heads against the witch as she entered. Sophie and Tadeus stared at the mess. Well, Sophie sighed. I'll help you, Tadeus said, dropping to his knees and gathering the larger chunks from the floor. He pointed to the tiny piles where the stone had become pulverized. But what about this? He was distraught. Oh, please, Sophie muttered. This is ridiculous. She let loose a quiet zawalani, and the cups and the bowls came together, lifted themselves into the cupboard, smooth as new, clean of stew. Jezda, Sophie called. I am finished. May we see the fountain? One moment. Jezda returned to the kitchen, a cat upon her shoulders, twining her tail around the witch's neck. I have some other tasks I hoped you could help me with. She nodded at the wall behind the table, and with the noise of a small earthquake, it crumbled to pieces, crushing the wooden tables and all the chairs, scaring the cat from her shoulder with a howl, and sending to-dos into a rolled-up ball on the floor, dust-covered and trembling. Sophie sighed. This was ridiculous, but fine. If the witch needed to waste their time, fine. She gave the old woman a tight smile. Very well, Sophie nodded. I will get to it. Thank you. Jezda left, and with a tensely uttered zawalani, the walls came together, the table was mended, the chairs were sturdy once more, and poor shaking to-dos was freed of dust. Get up, Sophie hissed at him. This is ridiculous. You need to be braver. She called out once more to the witch, who shuffled back into the kitchen. Very nice, very nice, Jezda nodded. Are we ready, Sophie asked hopefully. I think not, the witch replied. With something like a sneeze coming out of the witch's wrinkled face, the hut between their feet fell away. The walls and the floor, the ceiling, the cauldron of ancient animal stew, the fire in the fireplace were all gone. The heart of the hut was revealed, a great monstrous chicken, three-footed and two-headed, its four eyes flaring, its double beaks squawking, its wide feathered wings flapping widely as it continued its lunatic dance, spinning in the dirt on its six scabby feet. The three of them had fallen to the ground, Jezda and Sophie and Tadeus. Cats crawled over the lot of them, alarmed, hissing at the chicken. Jezda laughed wildly at the beast, seemingly oblivious to the clouds of dust its dance kicked up. The grime that floated down and stuck in their hair coated their faces. Sophie noticed Tadeus could not take his eyes off the giant, horrible bird. The corners of his eyes were wet and his mouth hung open. Perhaps he was in shock, Sophie considered. Tadeus, she nudged him, close your mouth, you're eating dirt. You can see, Jezda cried cheerfully over the rumble and squawk, how such a beast is descended from dinosaurs, can you not? Their powerful ancestors live inside their bones, as do yours, my dearies. Sophie smiled her, she smiled her crazy-toothed smile at her guests. What, Sophie asked wearily, would you like me to do? Why put it back together, of course, the witch replied. She leaned back on a knoll of grass, and many cats moved to nestle themselves in her many soft places. I'll stop there. Thanks, you guys. Great read. I mean, terrific. Thanks, man. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I feel like, well, first off, congratulations on finishing the trilogy. Thank you. Um, I, is this something that you had pitched as a trilogy? Did you know it would be three initially? I did. I, um, I had read His Dark Materials, Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved it so much and I was so surprised to love it because I yeah. just thought that I didn't care about fantasy books, you know? Um, and I got excited at thinking like, what would a fantasy world look like if I created it? Like what would my beasts, you know, and, and stuff be? And then I also thought like I could write a trilogy and, and get rich right. and like find a big publisher to publish all of them. And it would be like Harry Potter. And it's like McSweeney's published it and I'm not rich. And they became like a nonprofit in between the second book and the third oh. book. So like I actually wrote this book years ago and gave up wondering when it would come out and then but they've always been slightly in touch and then they called me like a month ago to talk about promoting it and I was like oh cool when is it coming out and they were like oh <laughs> next week and I was like what I had no idea it was coming so it was out like printed and everything yeah and they asked you for like a bio or anything I mean they ha- they didn't ask me to update my old one no I don't think so That's so wild. it was really weird and my literary agent was like I didn't know you had a book coming out and I was like okay good so it's not I just thought I'm such a mess that like I just didn't know but it was McSweeney's That's it so... got just got lost in the shuffle of converting to a nonprofit. Oh so <laughs> but it's funny because I just um I don't remember so much of it because I wrote it so long ago. But now re- looking at it, I, you know, of course I remember all of it once I look at it, but it's a strange sensation, kind so, of. Yeah, I was, so I was actually going to ask, like, did you, there books, this one's three, four years after the second one came out, so I was going yeah. to ask, did you take a break? But so you just, did I you just write them all writing. in succession? Yeah, I did. I just kept writing them all in succession. Oh, yeah. that's great. I know. Um, it was, yeah, I mean, it was, I really enjoyed doing all of the research about Poland and Polish mythology. Yeah, do you have a Polish background? I do, okay. yeah. I've, this is like the first book I've ever heard, ever read where it specifically focuses on like Polish witches. It's not hot. Poland is yeah. like not a hot topic at all. Um, and I never cared that I was Polish and I just always thought it felt like I'm Polish on my father's side and him him and his family they were like alcoholics and they ate tripe and they just were like cranky and it never seemed romantic to me Mm -hmm. to be Polish and then at some point I just started considering it and then the more I considered it the more kind of mysterious and interesting it seemed and so then I just started looking into um like Polish folk magic and mythology and it's you know it's really interesting there's so much witchery in Eastern Europe right yeah yeah I mean it's kind of part of that like post-Soviet block yes where my brain just kind of like goes over it a little bit yeah it should for the most part it's like sad there I went to visit um I got a grant to do to teach there but the but I wanted to go so I could be there and see what it was like so I could write these books and it was very depressing yeah I imagine it's very dreary it's so dreary and I just felt like such a weird American there like I was like oh I want to go thrifting and get like you know cool like what would you get in Poland and it's like nothing because they haven't had anything to (laughs) sell you know what I mean it's like there's no real thrift stores and so I just felt like this bitch being like, this H&M sucks. Like, why don't they have other, th- you know, like other things? Why? Yeah. It's like they're like, took all the most dreary clothes that they make. And they're like, this is for Poland, you know. And Oh, my God. It was really. It, oh, and I was told by my host there to not smile at people. Because if you smile at strangers, they think you're up to no good. 
They think you're wow. trying to like butter them up. And I'm such a dork. I sm- I'm like walking around smiling at everybody. And in fact, no one ever smiled back at me. They would like scowl at me and then I'd remember and I'd like look at the ground. Yeah, I'm from Indiana. So I'm just like walking around like this all the time. <laughs> like- <laughs> Imagine if you couldn't do that. It's yeah. like an essential, you don't realize what an essential part of yourself, your smile is. Yeah. So in terms of like, so this is part of your background that you're kind of exploring yeah. or uh, in the in the series, um, and you're also from Chelsea, which is yeah. where Sophie is from. So yeah. you've written a lot of like autobi- autobiography, memoir, mm-hmm. memoir f- slash fiction. Yeah. Um, is this is there parts of this from your life that you're drawing on? I mean, Chelsea is real, um, and Chelsea is is, a, is, is more. Um, a, in the first book they're in Chelsea and so it's like you know the house that she lives in is the house that I lived in and so it's like the terrain is real like the street like I know where I'm making her go it's like really like making her walk up Heard Street and turn on Washington Avenue and like stuff like that but um, that's just to ground me in the story like the everything else is like I mean we did definitely have nights where we just were eating um, ramen or or cereal and falling asleep in front of the TV but that was kind of it my grandmother was really nice she wasn't evil incarnate right um but, I, I, you know, it's really funny. People felt, I didn't know that people would be so protective of this idea. Is like, peop, it, like, hurt people's heart that I made an evil grandmother. Like, I've had people talk. I'm like, really? It just seems so strange to me. I'm like, well, I don't think grandmothers are evil. It's a book. Like, I love my grandmother. And, right. You know, I don't know. But, um. There's something about, like, vanquishing your, um, a- like, an ancestor or somebody from an older generation of yours and it being your grandmother's very... Um, yeah, very unexpected. Yeah, it seemed fun to just make her be this like chain smoking, cranky lady who lives in a dump, but yeah. she's really like a powerful Like a matriarch witch. of yeah. this whole, basically like her whole community of witches. Yeah. Um, I mean, the whole, uh, whole series is uh, like 99% female characters, 99% women probably. I think Tadeus is the first guy in yeah, the book. Yeah, actually, as you were boy. reading that, I was going to say, like, and you called him an old queen. and oh, so, a little queen. A little queen. <laughs> so, like, yeah. Um, there is, like, it's such, um, like, in that way, such a, like, a feminine piece. and so, or, But not, I don't mean feminine in that like femme um in fact it's very like disgusting at times it's really fun to make the the um i mean it was fun to write about the stew you know and like like, you're using all of the most gross words we have i know i really enjoyed it (laughs) i loved making the jesda character just be this like gross witch who's just like loves being a gross witch you know and um the serena the mermaid who's the main one of the main characters of the whole series she's not in that part of this book um she's just like a cranky B-I-T-C-H. She's just yeah. really like not, she just says not suffer fools. Cause I just think, what, think about a mermaid. There is a, mer- there's a myth of this mermaid Serena who lives in the river Vistula in guards the city of Warsaw in Poland. And so you just think of everything the city of Warsaw has been through. Right. Um, which I wrote a lot about in this book. And you're like, that witch would just be so salty. She would suffer no fools. Like she's lived through the Holocaust. She's seen like just everything, you know? And, yeah. and then, and then the more I researched her, I learned that there is a, like another myth that she was sisters of the little mermaid. Yeah. That's so much of the second book is like kind of into her ex- trauma of like that. Of losing her sister. Yeah. 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 I really, I loved that. I felt like what Sophie's whole power, her, her whole, um, sense of magic is so based in like her ability to basically empathize with people. Yeah. Like she goes into people's hearts and can feel what their pain or their joy is and then release them from yeah. that. And it's, um, 
uh, it's pretty amazing. It's like definitely not Spider-Man, you know. <laughs> no, it's it's like a codependent femme superhero. Yeah, it's like fantastic. let me go into your heart and feel your feelings for you, so you don't have to feel them <laughs> it's anymore. It's like a care. It's like a, she's like the emotional caretaker of the world. Yeah, basically. Yeah, totally. Um, do any of you guys have questions? Yeah. About wanting to talk about water? Oh, um, yeah, there's this, well, um, again, the Jezda witch is a real mythological figure in Polish mythology, and it said that she guards the um, waters of life. And so um, there's, I mean, it's a mermaid story, so there's a lot of water. The, the second book takes place entirely in the ocean, you know, and so, which was really fun to research because I actually researched like if you did swim underwater from Chelsea, Massachusetts to Warsaw, how would you go? And like what, and in fact, it's a terrain. You would go through the Mariana Trench and you would see all this stuff and I researched all the animals that, you, that are down there. And so I had there be like a s underwater spring where this sort of evil can enter our realm. And so I had it be like the fountain that Jezda is guarding is sort of the opposite. It's like where all this joy sort of enters this realm. So, but yeah, there's a lot of water in the book with the mermaid and all, yeah. <laughs> and salt too, I mean, that's so much a part of it is like her being in the salt water and getting her, where did that idea come from? Uh, is like salt is like the purity. Right, um, I think that, we're, well, there's salt in magic. Is, is Salt is used in magic as a purifier, right? And if you just think like salt water does like help our bodies and helps heal our bodies, like you gargle with salt water when you have a sore throat, like things like that. Um, salt water is really kind of great for, for us. And it's used in magic really commonly. And then I think it was like learning that if babies eat salt, like salt can actually kill a baby, like if a baby eats a lot of salt. And um, I think I had read some sort of thing where I think someone was trying to kill their baby and was like feeding them salt to just be like, oh, my baby died, you know, like right. as a sort of like way to get away with it. Um, and I think that story just lived in my head a little bit and then it just found its way out yeah, it's in like this. It, you use it as the test for the two twins, Sophie and Belinda, which yeah. I love as a name. Um, <laughs> just like a kid named Belinda. I'm obsessed <laughs> with that. Um, but uh, separating... Uh, as, a, as a test to see which one of them had magic. Mm -hmm. Who could withstand eating all of the salt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Don't really feed salt to your baby. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's the, um, it's the Golden Compass. The series, the, the trilogy is called His Dark Materials. Yeah. Oh my god, that's really funny. Because he, they kill God basically. Yeah, it's they like do. A, my grandmother also sent me, who's not great, full disclosure, <laughs> sent me an email. I was like, "Do not read these books. They kill God in it." And that was like the Fox News bent of it. 
Like, if that doesn't drive you to this. Right. But <laughs> Read all of them. I can't, I can't wait to see them kill God. How does that, how does that yeah. look like? It's, it's <laughs> such a beautiful trilogy. I remember I worked at a bookstore from um, during the time that it came out and got really popular. And I remember the cover had, like, a girl on, like, a flying polar bear. And I had friends and customers be like, you've got to read this book. And I was like, girl on a flying polar bear, it's never going to happen. Like, I'm never going to read that book. Like, I just didn't think I would like a book like that. And then I, like was dating somebody really stupid, but they turned me on to this book, so that was good. But I was just like, oh, you love this book? Well, I want to read anything you love, you know? And um, and then I loved it. And so, and then, and then you wrote up. three books. So that person was actually a huge part of your life. Oh. <laughs> 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 um, uh, so do you feel like this story is now, like, do, do you have another YA book in you? Do you have another magic book in you? Um, I have a half-finished YA book that I wrote with gusto years ago and then I put it down and um, I've got to finish it and I'm just I feel really stuck I think it's hard when you put a book down for so many years you change and then you go back to the book and it's like that moment has passed but I, li- I like it and I like the story and I like the characters I just have to get back on track with it but it's really tricky I'm like begging my my um my agent being like, can you just sell it? Like, it's half written. Can you sell it? And she's like, you have to finish it for me to write it. And I'm like, well, then I'm never going to write it. Like, being it's like a baby. Like, that's when she's going to be like, okay, Michelle, I'll sell it for you. She's just like, I can't sell it until it's written. So They sold the Devil Wears Prada before that was done. I know. I'm like, you hear these things all the time. I'm just like, well, somebody's just not working hard enough, are they? <laughs> and, and it's me. Yeah. <laughs> not my agent. Yeah. Oh. Oh, oh, do finish, do you. finish. I had to talk to you about my grandmother. No, sorry. we wanted to hear about all the bad grandmothers, please. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so much of it seems like marketing, you know what I mean? And that's mysterious to me, like why publishers decide to do what they do. Like I knew I wanted to write this story. I knew I wanted it to be like young people protagonists. You know, I knew I wanted the the main character to be this younger person. So I guess in that way, I, I figured it was a young adult book. Not that all books with a young person protagonist are that, but um yeah, I guess I just figured, and and it it released me to kind of write it a little bit more like a fairy tale. I think using a different type of a voice than my normal voice. Um, yeah, but I don't I don't know, and I don't know how it functions differently because I think a lot of adults now read why all. I mean, I think famously, right? Like adults read YA of all of all genres. Yeah, and and I know when I was a young adult, I read adult books. You know, so I think it's. I don't know. It's almost just like the name of a genre now you, where you kind of know what you're going to get more than it is specifically geared to younger people. I don't know.
I mean, yeah, it was so completely different. Like my voice, my writing voice changed in that. Like it's it's so it's so, it's so different than the voice that I've written all my other books in that it's disorienting to read out loud from it because I don't know what my stance is. Like it feels weird in my body. Like I think I'm just used to reading things in a different way where I'm like, me, 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 and I did that, and then I thought about that, and I did that crazy thing, crazy, you know? And now here I'm just like, oh, and the, you, the, the fog drifted over the trees, you know? And it's like this <laughs> whole other quality of writing where you're like setting this fantasy stage and um, – but I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. I really like mythology very much. And like, I there's like there's a um, there's a Griffin character. He's male. He's a Griffin. <laughs> He's the the male character. Um, and it was so fun to describe like a Griffin, you know, with like a beak and wings and stuff. And he's like this kind of hero. Yeah, uh, like he basically was like the mermaid's date for a while. And she's like telling the story of him. So. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it was it was really weird. It was f it was fun to know that I could continue the story because I write sort of long anyway. Um, this was a little long, but it was it was kind of nice to just know like if there were things that had I thought about that I hadn't gotten to them yet, I could be like, oh, I could put that in the next book. I mean, I didn't expect that the second book would be entirely the underwater journey. It's just what happened. It just took them that took them that long to get to Poland. So, yeah. Um, I did a little research before I got started. Um, I didn't actually go to Poland until the, uh, until I wrote the uh, after the first book. I wrote it for the second book between the first book and the second book. Like I was starting to write the second book while I was in Poland, or I, was tr I had some false starts of it. But I did a lot of research online. Um, about Serena, the the mermaid, and just like fell into a huge K-hole with that, and it's super fascinating. And then just learned so much about the Warsaw Uprising um, and got very obsessed with that, and there's a lot in there. And there's all these ties where it's like, this stuff was like blowing my mind. Like, it's really fun to research a book, and then you just feel like you found this secret world that nobody else knows about. Of course, millions of people know, but I didn't, so I just felt like I was discovering all these secrets. Like, there's... Um, there are two statues of the mermaid in Warsaw, and one is on the bank of the River Vistula, and it's this very kind of cubist, powerful, um, amazing statue. And then the more I learned about it, I learned it was made by this female sculptor, and the woman who was the model who, who posed for her was a part of the Warsaw Uprising, and she was a poet, Christina Krosenka. I'm ruining her name, but it's in the book. She's like a character in the book, basically. And she was a poet, and her poems were sort of turned into songs, and they were the, like the anthems of the Warsaw Uprising. The, the Warsaw Uprising, if you don't know, it's like they were the only... And the city of Warsaw, um, they, they re rebelled against the Nazis. They were the only... And they held the Nazis off for something like 30 days, and they were the only city in Europe to actually have a, a uprising and to really fought, fought off the Nazis and kept them at bay for like a minute. But it was, it's, I mean, it's tragic because everybody died. You know, it, obviously they didn't, they didn't, they didn't win, but, um, but they really put in such a sustained effort and there were so many women fighting in the Warsaw uprising. And if you see pictures of them, they all look like lesbians. Maybe it's, Pol they're just, maybe it's a Polish thing. I don't know, but I'm just like, she looks so butch. Like there's, <laughs> like there's this great symbol of the Warsaw uprising. It's like an anchor that has a P on it. And it was created by this woman who was, um, she was like 23. She was like a, an art student. They, they did, like the uprising had a contest to like design their 
brand, like their little emblem. And she won and she looks like a total lesbian to me. And, um, and she was martyred, of course. And, and Christina Krahenka also was, she was like shot in a sunflower field. And then instead of trying, she was afraid that if she got up and tried to escape that they would, um, she would kind of betray the positioning of the other people. And so she just kind of kept low until the sun went down, but she died. So it's like, it's super tragic, but I felt so, um, I don't know, like as somebody who was partly coming into this to sort of research my ancestry, it was like so gratifying to read, to learn about the Warsaw Uprising and be like, oh, okay, so not all Polish people were hor horrible monsters who like burned their neighbor's farms down. Like there was a, a big effort to resist the Nazis, so. Oh, for like gathering the research? Um, I mean, this was the first project that I did where the, the, I really actually had to do research and it wasn't just a fake time suck of procrastination, mm -hmm. you know? And it, even even it, within that, I still felt nervous sometimes. Like, <laughs> how many days am I going to spend researching like luminescent deep sea fish? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it definitely did, did it for a little while. But um, I don't know. I kind of... Um, I mean, once I was writing, I just would sit down and, and write, you know, and like just just make the time for it, really. And that was just my process is just um, I, I can't believe I didn't do more outlining. I think it would have benefited from that. <laughs> I think if I were to do it now, I would definitely outline it. But I didn't. I had like I mean, I did a little bit, but um, it was more in my head. And I had like vague ideas of where I want where they were going, what I was writing towards. Um, yeah. No, I don't. I actually don't write every day. I'm not very disciplined, um, and I haven't been since I was like in my 20s, but what happens is when I sit down, I can produce a lot of text because I don't have a big internal um, editor, for better or worse. Um, so, you know, I, I feel like there's like an editing part of your brain and there's a writing part of your brain, and I think people sometimes get in their way because they try to edit while they write and it slows them down, and I just say like, sit down and write and do not edit while you write. Edit later. So I do that. Like once I've accumulated some pages, I'll begin every writing session by kind of combing through what I wrote before and tweaking it a little bit and then just diving into the text. Yeah, I feel fortunate for it because I, I do, yeah, I, I think that it's really hard when you're like, have that perfectionist eye on your on your work. I mean, I think my, it's a double-edged sword. My work could probably benefit from a bit more perfectionism, but. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no such, I think perfectionism is sort of like a d mental disease, you know, so the, the further away you can get from it, I feel like it just kind of messes with your art a lot. Was there, yeah. No, I just had like a file on my computer. So if I had an idea, I would just put it, I had notes, you know? Yeah, on my computer. And then I would just keep, I, I wrote from like A to B. Yeah, I did write linear, linearly, yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you feel like you so much of your material that you have done has been very like queer centric, queer focused? Do you feel like writing in this form you, that has an influence on the books, or d did you find that 
what was that experience like kind of bringing your point of view into a different genre? Right. Um, I feel like there's a queerness to, it's not overtly queer. I feel like there's a queerness to it because I just can't help. But when I see these, imagine characters who feel close to my heart, they just tend to be queer because, you know, everyone who's close to my heart is queer for the most part. Like Angel, for example, when, um, she's introduced in the first book, it's, it's unclear of her gender Mm -hmm. and Sophie knows her gender, but Krishka does not know her gender. Yeah. Um, I, that was right off the bat really interesting to me. Um, I went to, there's this place, it's not the dump in San Francisco, but it's sort of this, this dump-ish place. Mm-hmm. Do you remember this? Do you know this place where just people dump off, like how, you can kind of go in and buy old housewares? Is it urban? Is that in the East Bay? No, this one's in San Francisco. It's this little place and you walk in and there's just like, they have a glass tumbler and they have big bins of just like different colored tumbled bits of glass that people go there if they're landscapers and they need it for gardening. But you can also, it's like if you took apart a house and every sort of like thing that could be kind of reused, like people just haul it there. And um, I went there once and I just was like, oh, this place is so cool and interesting. And there was this like hot butch and like a knit cap working there and Mm -hmm. I just... I guess liked them and then put them in my book. <laughs> so yeah, that's what that yeah. was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So any of you, if you have a, a lasting impression, it could be in the next <laughs> one. Be in my next book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What is your next book? Oh gosh. What is, um, what is your next thanks. <laughs> for that. <laughs> Thought you were my friend. Um, I have actually have another. I have a bunch of kids' books coming out. Um, I have a series. Another series, but it's actually it's not novels. They're they're kid picture books, and the first one is going to be out in April. It's called Astro Baby, and it's a kid's uh, zodiac primer, and it's going to be yeah, it's really fun. The art is really cool. It's um this guy Mike Perry who did the opening credits for Broad City. His stuff is like really psychedelic and weird, and he made these little like they're weird creatures. They're like babies, but they're weird. They have diapers and like bullhorns, and um and it, the art kind of looks like you know those projects you maybe did when you were little where you like color a whole piece of paper in like every different color Crayola and then you color it black over it and then scrape through. It's kind of looks like that. So it's like black, but like with a lot of psychedelic colors and there's going to be a whole um, series where every uh, sign gets their own story. So that's really fun. I'm doing that. And then I started another imprint, a kids book imprint at city lights called drag, drag queen story hour books. And I have a Drag Queen Story Hour kids book coming out called um, Tabitha and Magoo Dress Up Too. And it's about these like kids who are like, you know, like cross-dressing privately and afraid to leave their house. And then like it's like magical, like a drag queen witch comes and like takes her them in her flying convertible to the library. <laughs> and and um, so that's coming out. I'm not sure. Sometime I think it's sometime this year. It's come in. It's coming out. So it's all kids' books, and maybe I'll finish the young adult book, and then I pitched some like a like a tarot spell book and like a Lives of the Witches book. That I don't know, maybe something will happen, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's all. Great. Brandon's going to see. Brandon's going to see. Um, um, what's his face? Sir Elton John. Sir Elton John. What's his face? What's his face? <laughs> <laughs> that's. I know. Thank you so. I don't usually so dress so flashy. And I don't usually dress so dowdy. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, thank you so much for yeah. for Thanks having this for be coming. your yeah. opening. <laughs> ex- you know. <laughs> thank you guys for coming. I'll sign books. 
You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.